0: Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a very interesting social innovator who's done a wide variety of things, and we're going to start with an introduction. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Harper. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, let's start with your academic career. So, I know you've done a number of courses and programs. So, take us through your academic career.
1: Definitely. So, I have I actually went to high school in Kingston, Jamaica. And then I did my first degree, my Bachelor of Arts degree in communication studies at Concordia University in Montreal. Then I spent 20, I went back to Jamaica and spent 20 years, (laughs) over 20 years um, working in charities, doing um, projects, project management. I actually did my course in project management and my hours in project management. And then I came back to Canada and I did my, I became a registered social service worker with Seneca College. And while that was happening, I wrote two books, and I did it in a year. I wrote two books and got my honorary doctorate in philosophy of humanities from the United College and Seminary International.
0: Wow. That's uh, quite a range of education. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's delve a little more into that. Uh, your bachelor's was in Concordia in Montreal. Yes. And what kind of courses did you take there?
1: I actually did television and radio production, but I specialized in script writing, and my passion was education. At the time when I, you know, you had, in those days, you had to interview to get into the program, and you had thousands interviewing, and they choose 150. And my interview was based on going back to my home country in Jamaica and changing the educational system. The the classrooms are overcrowded. We have 40 kids, 50 kids into one classroom with one teacher. And my theory and my belief was if we put a television in the classroom, attack the different types of learning styles on that TV show, then the teacher could then become the TA and do the one-on-one with the kids while they're watching the, the show on the educational television. So that was my whole premise of going to Concordia to actually, and before that I was in acting. I did I did acted, danced, sang, wrote plays all while I was doing in high school. I mean, it was funny. I had a three-page resume in theater before I even left high school, <laughs> but That was my theory and that's how I got into Concordia and that's what I focused on.
0: Okay, now tell us about this doctorate that you've achieved.
1: (laughs) So it is a doctorate from the United College and Seminary International in the States as well as they have schools in Africa. And what it is, is a learning on the, it's a doctorate for what I have achieved and learned and done and what I have initiated so I initiated the family civility because I became a world civility ambassador um, actually at the United Nations in September 2019 and at that in the OPAD office and it was really nice I flew to New York it was really a fun experience and an honor because I actually the day I received my world civility ambassadorship it was the same day that the First Lady of Burundi was receiving her civility award. So it was meeting the First Lady of Burundi who has done so much, I was humbled. (laughs) And with that, I spurred the whole concept and idea of the family civility and what family civility is. And I have based a curriculum on teaching the family civility approach to social work. And based off of all of that, and it's a combination of all my experience, and that's how I was honored with the honorary doctorate. It's, it's a searcher's, not researcher's doctorate, as, my, um, as the chancellor says.
0: Sounds like an action uh, doctorate.
1: Definitely, yes. It's what I've done over the years. What I've written in my books, um, my two books I've written Out of Many Families, One Nation, How to Create Stability and Civility in the Homes of a Nation. And the first book was Communication is a Family Game, How to Create um, Harmony at Home.
0: Okay, so let's move along now to your work experiences.
1: that is extensive (laughs) um in jamaica i i started out with oh i'm thinking back i actually got a job at the canadian high commission and i was a consular officer there for five years that was intense however even then i was developing programs Um, teaching wardens to have emergency response in five countries, being in charge of five different countries. At the time, I actually got the highest security level in the world for locally engaged staff because I was just, I mean, my high commissioner at the time was like, Rebecca, are you going to become a high commissioner? I was about to go and take my exam and I got married (laughs) and ended up staying in Jamaica. And when I left there, in 2005 in two, yeah, 2005, I then went to the Cayman Islands government and they asked me to open their visa office in Jamaica because they were instilling the visa restrictions to Jamaicans to Cayman. So I did that. And then I took a break <laughs> and became a mom. You know um, My daughter uh, was diagnosed with autism and I had to work with her and there were very little resources in Jamaica. At the time, in the sense of how to help. So, I did all the research I possibly could and did, I developed educational videos for her dyslexia, getting her to read, getting her to spell, and just being that innovator, you know, trying to make things work. And then I said, Well, if this works for my daughter, imagine how many children don't have access to this information being in a third world, a developing country. So I decided to take my videos to schools, public schools, test them. They were working. I got a 100% success rate, 100%, can you believe it? Um, Those who had a learning difference took a little longer to get 100% on their spelling tests. um, And those who didn't just got it within watching the videos once. And I tackled all the different types of learning. Um, With that, I started my radio show Parent to parent, where I was the only parenting show on radio, and I was and that show lasted eight years. (laughs) And even when and it was five minutes once a week, but I would have ministers of education. I'd have I have people coming to me. Oh, I love your show. I said, Oh, I haven't been at that station for a year. I'm now on a new station. (laughs) But it was very impactful. And what I was told about the show by a a prominent sociologist. He he headed the Institute of Jamaica and he said, Rebecca, your show changed the way people thought about parenting and children. And I spoke a lot about my daughter's autism. I spoke a lot about dyslexia. I spoke a lot about digging deeper when a child misbehaves and not just beating or getting upset. So I advocated from then. And then Um, At the same time doing that, because I just love radio production and I loved being on radio and writing the shows, I actually started, again, due to my daughter, we realized and researched that pesticides and um, on vegetables and all of that can cause autism and behavioral issues and so on. So we decided to start an organic aquaponic farm (laughs) and using what we could find in Jamaica. And then we saw this interdevelopment bank competition, and we said, hold on, we could really change a community with this. If we do central nursery, um, central packing system, we put the hydro, and then we switched to hydroponics because it was a lot more scalable with hydroponics as opposed to the fish. Also, let's just say cats in our area loved our aquaponics because we got rid of, uh, we killed a lot of fish <laughs> trying to find out how the system worked. But we got it down. We we did. We spent, as we said, we spent a million dollars and three years in research and development on the best systems that can work. But the key was building it in Jamaica, building it for the tropics, right? We don't need the greenhouses. We don't need the environmental restrictions that Canada or the U.S. does because we have one temperature. So we ended up writing the project and putting it in my community uh, and it was a rural community it was outside of it was near to kingston but very rural and we empowered so many families and what i saw with the community project was how the community grew using the economic factor of seven so we were we what we wanted to do was have the taxi drivers take the produce to the supermarket so they benefited from the project the construction people and the plumbers they benefited from the project because they were building the systems those the women who stay at home they were empowered because we put the systems in their backyard it was a 15,000 square foot um, sorry it was 17,000 square feet in total but each home got 1500 square feet of a hydroponic farm And what it was, we produced 600 heads of lettuce a week and 800 um, herbs a week. And what they would do is come to my house. We'd come and do the central nursery. And eventually, when I did the project in another community, the school actually got the nursery. And they benefited from the funds of the nursery. And it was each stage was bought, but money stayed in the community. And IDB loved it. It was a, a successful project. And then I, um, moved on to that project due to personal reasons we had to close. And for, we moved on, I moved on to working for a charity, a large charity in Jamaica, head of their agriculture and fishing, because my, I grew up with a, I'm a farmer's daughter. (laughs) And Uh, My father taught me a lot (laughs) about goats and pigs and small ruminants. And I just love animals. I have a passion for animals. So I took all that knowledge and I took that business sense of the hydroponic farming and the marketing and everything I had learned throughout the years in running a business. And I went into the communities and I was able to communicate at different levels of language. And education, but everybody could learn business. It was not, and there was not a per, a person. you know, they left school at grade nine, could hardly read read and write, but they knew and they could understand how to calculate their their math, how to calculate how much feed they needed, how to, and I just had to put it in the language that they understood. They even by the end of it, they even knew how to market. And it was so amazing and a, a light bulb came up. If we just show civility and respect to communities and learn how they speak, and not go down to their level because it's not going down a level. Just because I have a university degree does not make me any better than the person who has lived their life learning their knowledge in the streets or learning their generational knowledge.
0: So are just where as did smart go, as I am. Where did you go from there?
1: Um, so I left there and I actually ran the national zoo. (laughs) Yes, I got recruited from there to become the general manager of the Hope Zoo. And while I was there, I... Transform the zoo into the center of education. So no pulling back from my special needs education experience and pulling from all of that. And I was sitting on several boards by then, because my radio show had actually ministers of government were started asking me to be on like the early childhood commission and the um, family, the protect child protection and families commission agency. So they you know I had a lot of knowledge, and then I was on the National History Museum because of the zoo. So I was getting a lot of national knowledge. And with the zoo, I created actually the one, the only recycling program <laughs> called IZo Cycle. And I did the research. I'm like, well, are you saying that this is the only program in the world being done like this? And what we did was for admission into the zoo, we got sponsorship and donors but we had a plastic bottle problem. Jamaica was producing, Jamaica was using 7 million plastic bottles on the island a year. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And it was going into our rivers. It was going into our sea. So I said, I wonder if I could get people to sponsor the zoo and tickets to the zoo. And in return, the families and the children bring plastic bottles to pay for their tickets. In three months, we collected half a million bottles. Half a million. So doing the math, and that was just on a pilot program. And we were collecting up to a million bottles in six months by the time we were. So we could easily collect all the bottles, recycle them, and send them off with just our little zoo. In the same time... We were teaching them how to make piggy banks out of the plastic bottles. We were teaching, I had a whole curriculum for early childhood to teach resilience and to teach cultural identity, to teach numbers and letters. All of that happened while I was at the zoo. And I, and I, because my passion is education. My passion is empowering families. And we worked with boys on probation and they fought with pet therapy and animal therapy. And that was a success. So all we're using our zoo to me more than just hey, let's look at animals. You know, it was, and it was literally merging the world of environment and
0: people. So where did you go from the zoo?
1: <laughs> um,
0: from broadcasting I, to zoo to social.
1: I know my world. <laughs> I then came to Canada, but just before I came to Canada, I took a six-month consultancy contract, again with the IDB, um, with youth youth employment, and I developed a commun- national communication plan for them to bring in, um, and I brought in dancehall artists, very celebrity musicians in Jamaica to promote um, work ethic and soft skills and how to, you know, just to be that better person and the youth-related. And then I spoke with all the businesses to hire the people So and the educators to look at integrating the apprenticeship program because we didn't have what we have up here. And then I, I ended up moving to Canada in August of 2018 um, because, believe it or not, I was actually struggling. I And again, family stability, a lot of my knowledge over divorce and um, what was happening in my personal life influenced a lot of family civility and when i came up to canada i had to for my kids because my reached i reached a point with my daughter especially where i needed the resources for her and i was a Can- I am a canadian citizen so because that's a whole different other story <laughs> and um and i took my two kids and came up to canada for their benefit and it took me some time to adjust um, leaving such dynamic passionate work that i was doing i had to overcome that loss
0: and a so, warm temperature
1: I, I don't even go there <laughs> so not, yeah um i in my practical language i say god know where to make you born and in english that says you know god knows where to have you be born well i always said that because i like the warm weather not the cold I hibernate in the, I ask every morning I ask Alexa, what's the temperature today to just decide if I'm going outside.
0: (laughs) So what did you decide to do in Canada?
1: So again, when I first came up and I was lost, I, I, I felt a lot of loss. Um, I, and I, believe it or not, I was going through a lot of PTSD, um, with a lot of trauma that I had gone through and, on a personal level, and I just couldn't work. I couldn't function, and then that was by December. I said, okay, enough is enough. I need to decide what I'm doing in my life. I have children to support. I have, you know, this has to work. So I enrolled in school, January 2019, and I, my brother, I said, you know, there's so many choices up here. I don't even know where to begin to study. And because of my background, I could have done anything. (laughs) And he says, well, you love to talk. Find a profession where you can talk. (laughs) So I said, well, broadcasting is going to be hard to penetrate at this time without any Canadian experience. So I said, you know what? Let me go into social work because it's what I've been doing. And I got into the program in January and that started everything because I started exploring what I was experiencing as a person as well and going through it personally as well as professionally. And I just fell in love with it. I said, no, this is, this is it. And I saw some gaps, you know, in a sense of we're not working with the family on the whole. And with, of course, my experience in Jamaica and working with so many families in Jamaica on so many different levels and bringing them out of poverty, I said, no, this, this can be adjusted. And that's where families... And then in July, I met Dr. Clyde Rivers, who is the world spokesman of world civility, um, based in California, but he travels all over the world. He's also the UN dele- um, delegate for Burundi, Africa. And he met me and we spoke. And he goes, Rebecca, you you need to do this. You need to... You need to change the world with this, and he he just said this has to happen for you, and I and I spoke about family civility, and I came up with it right there. Just it it was like every experience in my life God has given me for this moment, and I find we find happiness when you find God's true purpose and that your purpose that God has given you in life. That's when that is to me true happiness. <laughs>
0: And, okay, now, prior to uh, doing this conversation, we did talk about some of your teaching in another country. Can you yes. tell us about that?
1: Well, it's exciting. So I developed the curriculum of the family Civility approach to social service work. And I was honored to teach a cohort in Kenya recently so exciting um we graduated the cohort yesterday on no on saturday and they even before so we taught i taught them on the family civility approach and anti-oppression because that was a big one for me that was a anti-oppression practice and learning about anti-oppression practice was huge because we all are oppressive and one thing i realized especially being in a developing country we charity can be very oppressive you know we tell people that they're in poverty we tell people they need help and when we are doing that even though our heart is in the right place we put people down to the point where the recipients feel that all they can or capable are doing is sitting down ask to, and asking for help and waiting for help and when i spoke with the kenyan cohort and started teaching that the light bulbs just went off because they were even doing it and they thought i'm doing good so we went through the course and already they've changed the way that they help others and they're and they're seeing what was so amazing is that they were coming back after class cl- after class and saying i did this and i saw an immediate change. I did this and I saw immediate change. And I said, we have a goldmine here in Canada of social service work. And it works, but it can be easily adapted to developing countries and empower the people of developing countries. But you see, governments want to keep them the way they are, for example, in Jamaica, because then they can show up every five years, hand out food, have a party, get their votes and go back and do what they need to do for the next five years. And so I'm creating almost a secret army <laughs> of empowering people. <laughs> um, but Do-
0: Dr. Harper, you're <laughs> also helping young people who want to be yes. entrepreneurs. Talk about yes. that a little bit.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my, I had to get a job here in Canada, and it was hard. I mean, you heard my resume. And I tried for two years to get a job in Canada. And it just was difficult And because I had all my experience in Jamaica, in between Africa and Jamaica. I didn't have any Canadian experience. But, you know, again, God's purpose. And I I got blessed and was hired by REST as a part-time. And it's part-time. And I work with the youth, the Black youth in the Peel region. And it's not just, I don't just do the entrepreneurs and again it's the same thing hearing what they want to do and help giving them the opportunities and avenues to make it happen they create that group they are the ones who led it I mean after our course last night the other night we were talking till 10 30 at night I was dying to go to my bed but I they were they were connecting and I had to let them connect and ha- and make that happen for them so I sat on the zoom and said okay make it happen and they're like, no, you have to stay on. <laughs> and that's what I do. I listen and I and I help them re- talk it out. And then I say, okay, how are we going to make this happen? And it's the same thing with my mommy's group. It's the same thing with the book exchange. All the groups and the workshops that I develop, it's because I'm listening.
0: So today we've had a rather interesting and diverse uh, experience with uh, Dr. Harper, an author, a program developer, a radio personality, and a social worker, an educator, and it just goes on. So, Dr. Harper, how do people get in contact with you to find out more of what you do?
1: Oh, well, my website is the Family Civility Institute, so, and the website is www. FamilyCivilityDay.com because I've actually got the proclaimed day um, called the National Family Civility Day on November 15th. So the website is um, FamilyCivilityDay.com and I am on Facebook. My YouTube channel is Family Civility Institute where you can see all my interviews with people from all over the world talking about family civility and how we can achieve it. And my IG and Facebook is at Dr. Rebecca Harper.
0: Well, we, we've learned a lot from you today. And we Thank wish you, you well uh, going into the future. You Thank are, you so uh, much. You are definitely a social innovator. And you are making a change. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you.